how do I incorporate fee-for-service financial planning into my advisory practice? This is the Transition to RA question and answer series. It is question number 45. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA. And on today's question, we're going to be talking about fee-for-service financial planning. So many of you have probably at least heard of fee-for-service. It seems to be getting a lot, a lot more buzz in the industry, a lot of articles being written about it, firms talking about doing it. And so the, the question is, what, first of all, what exactly is fee-for-service fee-for-service, sorry, financial planning, and, and why might you want to incorporate this into your practice? And if, and if you do want to incorporate, how do you go about actually doing that? And so I'm excited uh, for those of you that are watching this in video form. We do have two guests today from Advice Pay. We have Lucy Robeson and Isabel McGrail. So Lucy and Isabel, thanks for joining me. Hi, Brad. Thanks. Yeah, I will turn it back over to both of them in a second to give a background on themselves and their firm. But uh, again, I, th I think this is very, very timely. This is not a new topic. Um, and in part of the intro, you guys could even say how long advice pay has been around. Not, not that it only came about with, with advice pay, but uh, I, you know, I think advisors have been doing this for quite some time. There's some RAs that start up solely doing fee for service. That is 100% their business model. And we're seeing more and more, I think, and we'll dive into this existing tenured firms that have, that have never done this at all, that are now starting to incorporate into their practices for one reason or another. So I think a lot of great valuable information and uh, look forward to diving into that uh, here today. So if, if you could, if both of you could just give a brief background on yourselves and advice pay, I think that'd be very helpful. Sure, happy to do it. Thanks for having us both on. I'm Lucy Robeson and am the managing director at advice pay. So my background is actually as a certified financial planner. I was working directly with clients and found a love for the operations and technology side of working within an RIA and wanting to help advisors find those solutions. So AdvicePay was founded in 2016. I joined the team in 2018, really providing this payment platform solution for advisors who want to do fee-for-service financial planning, which... I know we'll dig into today and I'll let Isabel talk a little bit more about what our solution is with her introduction. Yeah, thanks, Lucy. Uh, so my name is Isabel McGrail. I've been with Advice Pay for about two years now, almost two years, and I'm a business development associate here at Advice Pay. I didn't really have um, a background in financial planning, but kind of um, came about Advice Pay sort of randomly. And yeah, I've really enjoyed working with advisors. Um, either who are, you know, working with fee-for-service clients or starting to introduce the model for the first time. And it's been really exciting, especially seeing um, kind of the growth of fee-for-service throughout the past um, two years that I've been here. Fantastic. I, I think the, the proper answer would have been you clearly saw the trend ahead of its time and you say, that That's is the term I need to go work for. Because <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is where the puck is going, as they say. So, uh, However, however, it all came together, uh, I'm, I'm glad it did for you guys, and I uh, certainly appreciate you guys jumping on here today. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll fire the questions off. Feel free to, whichever one of you, of you would like to take a first stab at or, or pass it off, and, and we can certainly go that way. Um, but if one of you could start with, you know, what exactly is fee-for-service? So, I saw it on the Advice Pay website. That's, that's how you guys describe it. Others 
you know, reference it, uh, you know, hey, I, I offer fee for service. What exactly is that in your opinion or how do you describe that to advisors? Yeah, it's a great question and a great place to start. So we're all talking about and thinking about the same thing. Essentially, fee for service is another way to get paid, another billing model within the financial services industry. So we often think of selling a product, maybe getting a commission. A lot of advisors charge an assets under management or AUM fee. As you, Brad, mentioned, we see this trajectory around fee for service which is charging a fixed amount at set intervals. We typically see that fixed amount being charged on a monthly basis and for the services you're providing, which predominantly are around giving advice. So there are a lot of you know, services financial planners can, can offer and, and we can dig into some of those and who you can serve using the model. But the way you pay almost any bill at this point on a flat uh, flat fee monthly basis, kind of the Netflix approach, if you will. Uh, this is allowing more people to get access to financial planning through cash flow, paying a set amount, again, most often on a monthly basis for the advice, for the relationship to be able to work with a financial planner on an ongoing basis. Okay. So you may, I was going to ask you, you know, what's the most common? So it, it sounds like the most common approach is that that monthly subscription, I, I think the Netflix is the um, is the great example that we're all we're also used to that model right. now. Are are you seeing other approaches? You know, I hear about the or retainer or perhaps one time fees. I mean, are is that is are you seeing much of that, or is it or is it almost exclusively that that monthly arrangement? Yeah, about ninety percent of our ongoing fees are done on a monthly basis. We also have options for firms to do quarterly and semi-annual billing, but the vast majority, that 90%, are doing this on a monthly basis. We see a lot of firms charging an upfront fee with that. A lot of the heavy lifting with the financial planning relationship happens at the onset of the relationship. So even through advice pay, you can charge an upfront fee and then the ongoing monthly fee kicks in after that. Okay. We also do see some firms using this, whether they, you know, for a client wanting to try, what is financial planning really about? They might charge just a one-time fee and work with a client on a project or hourly basis and, and engage with the client that way, let the client get to know them and potentially that moves into a more ongoing relationship. So a few ways to structure it, but that ongoing monthly often paired with a, a one-time upfront fee is most common. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's great with the upfront because obviously there can be extensive more work on that that initial engagement and then and then kind of a going forward basis might look at a different uh, kind of price point kind of thing. Um, yep. So I don't I don't know if you'd agree. My guess is you would. My my opening comments where I said uh, I'm I'm seeing and hearing about firms, you know, startup RA firms that 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 do this from the from the jump. That is that is their business model. That's how they enter the business. So. You know, perhaps you could confirm or deny that, uh, you, you know, uh, for us. And then what about, and this is a large part of my audience, is working with advisors that, that have already been in the business a long time. Uh, most likely they're doing a, an AUM type fee um, and, and, and will most likely want to continue doing that, but they might want to add on to their services with a, with a fee for service. Are you seeing that as well of, of that traditional AUM advisor looking to incorporate it? And if so, kind of how are you seeing that play out or what's your experience with that been? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the exciting things about the fee-for-service model. There are a lot of ways to do it. And as you said, kind of took off with firms starting RIAs, coming out of the gate, offering fee-for-service financial planning. But we've really seen this evolution of firms under other billing models, including AUM, offering this as a solution. So a common use case uh, where this makes sense and where firms are focusing is People, younger people who might not have the investable assets to make an AUM relationship make sense, but who have the cash flow to be able to pay a, a fixed monthly amount from that cash flow. Uh, this you know, can come up with high earners, with entrepreneurs, with real estate investors, people who are investing money uh, into other projects they're working on or Again, like a common example we'll use is doctors. Tons of debt, tons of income, probably don't have much in assets beyond the 401k as they're start, just starting to build that coming out of medical school. Yep. On the AUM side and with firms who have been doing AUM for a long time, what we're finding and seeing as the, is that this presents a great opportunity to start working with clients they maybe had to say no to otherwise because they didn't have a billing platform and you know a billing payment solution to allow them to really easily work with people who again have the cash flow we want advisors to be paid for the tremendous value they provide so now they're able to offer another model that allows them to work with clients they might have had to say no to before, or they're advising some of their AUM clients on accounts like a 401k where you can't debit fees from that account. And so you can structure some of the services you're providing or, you know, almost was saying quotes, giving away for free because yep. you don't have a good way to bill for it. And so you just it's not really bundled in other fees and, you know, you're not going to say no to a client who asks a question. So it presents the opportunity for advisors to match fees to the services they're offering more specifically and say, yes, we can advise on this or this portion or help kids of clients, adult children of clients um, with a different model that just didn't make sense under an AUM model. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. The and you you hear about that right from time to time. That are you are you getting credit for the service you're providing if they don't if they don't realize you know maybe they're paying for it and and so being able to kind of more line item that financial planning component to it, I think people appreciate. Oh wow, there is value here in in, in what I'm getting. Um, so I think that's important. And you didn't say it, but I, I've heard the acronym. I forgot my acronym right. Henry, right? The high earner, yep. not not rich yet. And I think that doctor example is perfect that that's uh, absolutely a potentially great long-term client um but in those initial years uh you know out of out of their schooling is what it is don't don't necessarily have a lot of assets to uh to manage or to work with at that point so i think uh great great example but just one one of the examples where i think uh the henry model comes into play um if we could if we could jump to two logistical parts to this and then, so we'll get a little technical on this. So, uh, and I'm not the expert on either one. So I'm, I'm glad to have you guys on to talk about this. So the, the first is the issue of custody. And so for those listening along or, or watching that aren't already familiar, as an RIA, there's a very specifically defined 
uh, terminology where if you, you are deemed to have custody, it's not necessarily a problem and it's not illegal or anything like that, but it does come with a lot of additional responsibilities for the RIA, um, things like a surprise annual exam uh, have to be conducted. Uh, arguably, you have higher regulatory scrutiny because you have custody. And so generally, the overwhelming majority of RAs try to avoid having custody. And, and in some ways, you could say, OK, I won't I won't do certain things uh, because I don't want to have custody. And then other times you got to be careful to inadvertently find yourself by definition having custody. And so I have heard that fee for service, that is something to be aware of to make sure you don't trigger that. So if, if you could walk us through how, how does custody play into fee for service? And then what does something like advice pay do to try to avoid, avoid that inadvertently happening? Yeah, absolutely. I can kind of touch on that one. Um, so a 2013 SEC risk alert noted that having online access to client accounts can trigger custody if that access includes the ability to withdraw funds or transfer funds to another account. Um, as you just mentioned, it's not illegal for you know a financial planner to have custody. However, it does kind of create a headache. Um, planners who do have custody have to arrange for an audit. It costs a lot of time and also a lot of money. Um, so advice pay was kind of built specifically with that custody rule in mind. And when an advisor is using advice pay, um, you know, they don't have to worry about triggering custody. And we're also always adapting to changing regulations. Um, so advisors never see any sensitive credit card information or bank account information. And then any changes to client billing always require approval from the client. So for example, um, I have my client set up on a, you know, $100 monthly subscription and I go and edit that to $200 my client has to go into advice pay and manually approve that fee increase. And so other payment processors are kind of problematic um, because they're not compliant with industry regulations. And then a lot of those platforms also ban billing for financial services, which a lot of advisors don't really know about, um, but it's um, against their acceptable use policy. So that includes like QuickBooks, PayPal, Venmo. Um, so advisors using those platforms are kind of at risk of just getting removed or kicked off um, for violating those terms of service. And then um, they can also kind of raise some red flags with auditors. No, that's a great point. And thank you for bringing up the, the credit card thing, because I have heard that heard that too, where, and quite frankly, I think I would think, oh, no, I can just go to whatever, you know, a PayPal or wherever the case may be. And, and so to, to your point, that's that's not the case. Uh, and if I'm hearing you correct, so advice pay was specifically set up. Um, and then I should mention, you you guys are not lawyers, so we won't, we won't hold you to uh, you know, any, any legal advice, but, but it's uh, my understanding advice pay was set up to try to I don't want to say solve for both those issues, but try to manage both that custody and, and how you must work with, with credit card merchants. So that's, that's good to hear on that front as well. Um, if, if you could, could, could we walk through and you, you, you referenced a little, you know, the scenario of maybe changing a fee, but, but let's say I'm an advisor. I like this. I'm already signed up with you guys. I'll, I'll come back to kind of how that works. So let's say I'm already, I'm already up and going. And I have a new client today comes in. They like my value proposition. We, we, we seem to be a good fit for each other. So I want to sign them up for, and we'll use a monthly subscription fee seems to be one of the most, most often used. So what is the, what is the actual process of doing that both from me as the advisor and, and the, the client uh, on the other side of that table? What, what, what are the steps in that? Yeah, good question. So 
Um, the very first step is to, you know, get that client added into AdvicePay, um, which is just as simple as adding their first and last name and email address. AdvicePay also integrates with Wealthbox, Redtail, and then Salesforce, so advisors can also use those systems to add clients over. Um, once the client has been added, the advisor will create that invoice by selecting the type. So whether it's like a one-time invoice, maybe for like a project-based fee or hourly fee, uh, or if the advisor is setting them up on a subscription, and then from there, the advisor will choose the amount, the due date, and then the frequency. So if it is a subscription, uh, advisors can also elect to attach a financial planning document or an agreement to the invoice during that process. So AdvicePay integrates with HelloSign and DocuSign as well to support that. And then from there, they'll send an email to that client um, directly through AdvicePay, notifying them that they have that new invoice and or document. Uh, and then from the client side, they'll open up that email um, and be able to pay their invoice or if there's a document, you know, they can sign that document and then pay by entering either a credit card or bank account information. Um, and so clients only have to enter that uh, payment information once for subscription and then going forward, it's automated. And so clients will also have an option. Um, they can, you know, create an account and pay or they can enter that payment, uh, payment information without creating an account and, you know, go on with their day. So it's really easy for both the advisor and the client. Okay. And you mentioned signing something. So I'm, I'm familiar with the idea that, okay, you have to enter an advisory agreement with whether you have a, a managing someone's assets or you're doing a, a one-time service, wherever the case may be. And so, and again, with a disclaimer, you, you guys are not providing legal advice, but what, what must the advisor do from an advisory agreement standpoint with the client? I mean, do you see typically advisors uh, have that agreement and they have the client sign that individually and then, and then they second shift over to an advice pay to, to, to facilitate the actual payment? Or, or am I correct in that, that that is, that is a part of the process? Yeah. So, um, so advice pay does not like require that advisors, you know, send an agreement to the client. However, we definitely find that it is a best practice um, to do so. You know, most advisors will have their client, as you mentioned, sign like a financial planning agreement that outlines like the types of services that they'll be offering and the fees that the client will be paying. Um, and so that the integrations we have with HelloSign and DocuSign make it really easy for the advisor to, you know, get that agreement signed um, and that invoice paid in one simple workflow. So they're not, you know, working out of multiple systems. They can make sure that document is signed and the client um, won't have the ability to pay their invoice until they sign that, you know, financial planning document. That That's fantastic. I didn't realize you guys had that incorporated. That That's a huge workflow, uh, uh, you know, positive there because to have to have a ask a client perhaps to kind of do two separate processes just can kind of slow things down. So, so kudos to to you guys for building that into it for sure. Um, yeah, so Brad, you... I can uh, jump in just with a sure. an example and working as an advisor, and I'm sure other advisors can relate to this. Clients are eager to get started. It's a lot more fun to start diving into the financial plan than it is to sign the paperwork. So. The system being designed to force them to sign the paperwork and it's automated, it's online, it's easy before they can pay the fee helps clients have a seamless uh, process for getting started, makes it a lot easier. And on the advisor side, importantly, ensures that that documentation is in place before they start making the recommendations and building out that financial plan. Yeah, go, it will go a, go a long way during the uh, the inevitable regulatory exam to be able to to be able to say, hey, that's that's our process. The system will not even let us do it until we've got that step done. I think I think that's uh, very helpful for uh, uh, audit purposes. So so how do you guys price this out? Not not to put you on the spot, but I mean, I you know, do you is it a per 
per account charge or per advisor charge or per revenue charge? How do you, how do you price out the, the, uh, the offering? Yeah. So essentially there are two components to our fee structure. There is both a monthly fee to use the service. And then there is a small percentage being charged on the transaction volume that is run through, through advice pay and kind of, we're happy to have our sales team and we'll provide some contact information, talk through those specifics, what that looks like, how it works right now. I can say for our, most of our you know, professional users who have RIAs and are getting signed up, that monthly fee starts at $50. And then we're taking that small percentage, uh, varies whether they're using a credit card or ACH to process those transactions. But those are the two fees to be thinking about when, when signing up. Okay, that's a great, great point. I didn't, I didn't even think to ask. So a- ACH is another option. So they can charge a credit card or just have it debited out of a, a checking account type thing. Correct. Okay. So credit cards, debit cards, ACH, those are all uh, available. And what we have heard from some advisors is that they want to limit it to one or the other. Some want to give their clients the option. So we actually have settings built in around that. If you only want your clients to be able to charge via ACH, which does have lower transaction costs, that is an option. Uh, I've talked to some firms, their niches uh, around maximizing credit card points, and they work with people who travel a ton. And so they want all of their clients to pay via credit card. Some don't care. They just want to give their client the choice. So we've built that flexibility into the system as well. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's hard to promote the use of travel or airline credit cards and then, and then not accept them for your, your service. So, uh, right. fair, fair enough on that one. Uh, what about minimum? So if I'm an advisor, this is not what I've historically done. I'm, I'm not going to instantly, uh, you know, make it 50% of my practice, even if I wanted to, you know, do, do you have minimums? Is there a minimum commitment of, of revenue spend per, per month, per quarter, or, or how's that look? Yeah. Isabel, do you want to talk about the essential offering? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are no minimums on advice pay. Um, you know, an advisor could sign up and have one client and that's why we have, you know, the tier below our professional platform, which is the essential plan. Um, so that one is just $10 a month. That is a great place to start for an advisor who, you know, might, might just be getting started with their business. Um, it has a 10 client cap, so, um, can't add more than 10 clients, but again, if an advisor, you know, only has one client and they, they don't feel comfortable, you know, paying $50 a month yet on the professional platform, they can start on that essential platform. And then if they do, you know, eventually get more than 10 clients, it's really easy to upgrade, um, directly with an advice pay and, and go to the professional platform from there. Okay. Um, so they can kind of dip a toe, get a feel for it, see if it resonates with their clients. Um, Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And so if I'm, I'm an advisor, this sounds good. This, wow, this is something I I should incorporate both to uh, generate more revenue for my practice, be able to service more clients, uh, increase my service offer and uh, all of those things. Um, If someone's listening to this, they, they say, Hey, advice pay seems to have this all figured out. What, what's that process if someone wants to sign up with you? I mean, is it, is it simply going to the website and everything's done digitally? Is it, reaching out and talking to someone on the team. What, what's that process? An advisor says, Hey, I want to, I want to get started with this. 
Yeah, so uh, AdvicePay is a month-to-month -month service, and advisors can sign up um, directly on our website at any time. They can also reach out to sales at advicepay.com if they want, you know, any more information or a more, you know, thorough demo um, before getting started. And you know, the sign-up process itself takes about, you know, five ten minutes um, to to get onto AdvicePay. And we see, you know, most firms up and running uh, pretty fairly quickly on advice pay, of course, kind of depends on the amount of clients that they're onboarding. Um, that being said, our, you know, our team is always happy to help um, with onboarding and kind of set up as advisors are getting started. And then advisors all, uh, always have access directly to our support team um, through their advisor portal. So we have a really fantastic support team, um, you know, if they have questions arise, but um, it is it is really fairly easy to, to get started and a, a really good experience for clients as well, even, you know, People who are less tech savvy, I've heard say, um, it's it's really easy and kind of uh, intuitive system to use. Good, good to know. And you're you're if I if I got my math right, five five years in, so I assume uh, it's been been polished up pretty well. So that's uh, I'm sure helping as well. I was kind of I was going to finish with the last question, say, hey, what's the best way for folks to get a get a hold of you? You just touched on it, um, but just just to repeat it. I'll give you guys a plug. Uh, so advicepay.com is where you can check it out. Uh, and Isabel, correct me if I have it wrong, but sales at advicepay.com is where folks can reach out with questions uh, and if need be, begin a dialogue with the, uh, with the team. So uh, any, any final thoughts on uh, you know, advisors that perhaps this is the first time or only time they've been exposed to this topic of, of what you suggest they would do to, to, to maybe take next steps with it? Yeah, I think it's helpful for advisors to think about times they've had to say no to a client who wanted to work with them, but they didn't have the right solution or payment method in place to be able to work with them or to think about those kind of services they might be giving away for free that they could be charging. Uh, one of the kind of small hiccups we've heard from some advisors starting this is they say, oh, but I don't want to give my you know, a client, even if I'm starting on essential with one client who wants to do this, I don't want them to have to have one more login. We even have a way around that. So when they get that email, they can pay without even creating an account. So there's flexibility there. And as Isabel said, our sales team is happy to talk to advisors and answer those questions. Uh, think about how this might be the, the best solution for them, but really thinking about you know, as an advisor, advisors love to help people. That's what they want to do. Who are those clients that you're, you're maybe not helping to the fullest potential or haven't been able to help because you just didn't have or weren't familiar with the fee-for-service model? Yeah, great, great, uh, great way to wrap it up. Um, hopefully for, for those folks listening or watching in, this has given you a good introduction to it. Obviously, there's, there's more details and more conversations that can be had, but I I do see it. I don't just think that this is a growing thing. I'm, I'm seeing it as well. You, you guys are obviously seeing it on, on your side. So uh, I would encourage advisors that this resonates with to, uh, to consider implementing into the practices and, and you will need a, a compliant way to go about doing it. So I uh, certainly suggest uh, taking a look at advice pay um, and glad to have you guys on. Thanks for coming on, educating us, teaching us a little something today. And uh, We'll go from there. So if you're not already there, uh, if you're listening in on this, if you go to transition to RIA.com, uh, I will in the show notes have uh, the email address, the website, 
uh, and anything else uh, that, that, I, that I end up putting in there will be in the show notes so you can find that. Uh, and uh, certainly appreciate everyone for joining in and thank you guys for uh, jumping on the, uh, the video and, and podcast today. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, thank you so much, Brad. Good thing.